please turn your Bibles to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. There is so much in this chapter. As much as I'm looking forward to the, the, the chapters to come, I, I don't want to rush through this one either. I don't want you to miss out on anything. And as um, somebody said to me, you know, it doesn't matter whether we get to the end or not, as long as we're ministering the word when the Lord comes. Amen. And it might be until the Lord comes. <laughs> it's a good place to be. This is a, this is a good gospel. <laughs> Amen. In John chapter 7, um, I'm going to start reading in verse 14. We got to verse 24 um, last week. And uh, it's a continuation. This whole thing is sort of one big sort of teaching. And so I, I, I can't go back to verse 1. I'm sorry. Okay, but I will pick it up in verse 14. And just to catch you up. Um, remember again that Jesus, the Feast of Tabernacles is on at the moment. And uh, Jesus didn't go up to it. His brothers were sort of egging him on, trying to t you know, s tell him, you've lost all the disciples, go get him back. <laughs> Maybe you can do it at the feast, because they'll all be there. And uh, he said, no, it's not the right time. It's not the opportune time. But the, the opportune time did come. And in verse 14, it says, now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple. All right. So right about halfway, the feast goes on for about a week. And so right about halfway through that feast, he goes up into the temple and he teaches. And verse 15, so he is, he is no longer trying to stay hidden. All right, verse 15, and the Jews marvel saying, how does this man know letters or literally the Hebrew scriptures having never studied? Verse 16, Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. So I want you to notice he says, I'm not preaching stuff that is coming from just me. Because see, the Jews, remember again last week I said that they love to cite people. All right? Originality was frowned upon. You had to cite what somebody else had said. Some famous, you know, rabbi or whatever. And Jesus says, I'm not citing any rabbis. I'm not citing men. I am citing God. Okay? Verse 17. If anyone wants to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. In other words, he's saying this word in itself will authenticate itself because there is something more to what he's saying than just what he's saying. There is a person behind all of this. Something that they had got away from and they didn't realize. See, whenever we minister, minister the word of God... It is the Holy Spirit. It is God who confirms that word in your heart. Amen? And if it's not being confirmed in your heart, then it's not God speaking. Amen. Verse 18. He says, He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. That was the Pharisees. <laughs> okay? And the religious leaders. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. And no unrighteousness is in him. In other words, he's saying what, he's, what he preaches comes from God. This is not about exalting himself. It is coming from God. But remember again, you know, this is what is uh, such a, I don't know whether you call it a paradox, but that he is the one that they need to believe in. <laughs> okay? <laughs> and as much as he's saying, listen, what I'm telling you is coming from God, this is God speaking to them. This is the one they need to believe in. 
Verse 19, he said, did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Now, this takes us back once again to where all of this started. Who remembers where all this started? Thank you. Yes, at the pool of Bethesda. He heals a man and then tells him to take his bed and go home. And the, and the religious leaders are incensed that somebody gave this man permission to carry his bed on the Sabbath. And the man saying, I'm healed. And they go, we don't care. You shouldn't be carrying your bed. Um, you know. So this is what all this is about. And, remember, and so he's, he's getting now to this point where he says, Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keep the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Okay. Notice he says, none of you keeps the law. You know, Galatians tells us that it is evident, I think it's in Galatians 3.11 or something, it says it is evident that nobody is justified by the law. It says the just shall live by faith. So no matter how much, you know, their ancestors tried, they failed. Okay? They're the ones that said, give us a law and we'll keep it. And God said, you won't. And he said, no, 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 give it to us. And then they failed on every point. And it was to show them that they couldn't do this in their own strength. They needed somebody to come and help them. They needed a savior. Amen? <laughs> and so, <laughs> verse 20, the people answered and said, you have a demon. Who is thinking to kill you? You know, people get defensive. You know, you try to minister to people. And they say, you're the one with the problem. Don't look at me. You're the one. <laughs> and suddenly you go, you know what? I'm not helping you anymore. You say, let by no. Okay. <laughs> you want to say that, don't you? I'm just saying. All right. Or is it just me? Uh, verse 21. <laughs> Moving on before I get in more trouble. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marvel. Now, this wasn't marveling in a good way. This is marveling in a bad way. He did one work and they're all upset. He says, Moses, verse 22, I don't want to go through this in detail because I went through it last week. He says, Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers. He's going back to Abraham. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? So he's saying, listen, you guys override the Sabbath when there is a necessity. He's saying, isn't an act, and that was an act of necessity. He said, isn't an act of mercy more important? In verse 24, he says, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. He says, stop looking at everything from this, you know, through this critical eye, from, from this kind of very superficial point, carrying a bed. Are you kidding me? A person got healed. That's what was important. The question should have been, who healed you? Where is this wonderful man? Instead of, are you carrying your bed? You shouldn't be carrying your bed. Wow. Wow. Anyway, okay. Verse 25. We're there. Now, some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? Okay. So, remember again, that's why Jesus, you know, kind of took his time getting there. 
and was waiting on God because these people want to kill him because he did an act of mercy on the Sabbath day. God forbid. Okay? And, and then they say in verse 26, but look, he speaks boldly or openly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? <laughs> Watch the direction that they're going. This is not where the rulers wanted them to go. Okay? They're starting to question, maybe the rulers think that this is the Christ. That's why they're not stopping him. Because, you know, normally anybody created disturbance and boy, a guy gets kicked out before you know it. Are you all here? They had temple gods to do that. All right? So they couldn't understand why Jesus was allowed to speak so openly and boldly if the religious hierarchy hated him as much as they were led to believe. So they began reasoning and thinking, hmm, is it possible? Maybe the the leaders have come to find out that he is who he claims to be. Maybe there is something more to this and they haven't told us yet, okay, is what they're thinking. But then sadly, you know what happens? We start to reason in our brain. And, And so it goes and they say, verse 27, however, we know where this man is from. The, the, the implication is we know who his parents are. Okay? But when Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. William Hendrickson explains, there were two opinions among the Jews regarding the origin of the expected Messiah. According to some, one would know where he came from, and according to others, he would be born in Bethlehem. There's a full stop there. Okay, all right. The first of these ideas, that Messiah would appear very suddenly, as if from nowhere, seems to have been a piece of popular theology. Now, we have to go to uh, John MacArthur to understand what, what this was about. He explains, a tradition had developed in Jewish circles that Messiah would appear suddenly to the people based on a misinterpretation of Malachi 3.1. Let's go to Malachi 3.1. Okay? See, they... People didn't understand the difference between the first coming, the second coming, the right. They didn't have any idea about anything. It was all a big jumble. Because, you know, the religious leaders had no idea half the time what was going on. They were so busy about what you can and can't carry on the Sabbath day. They had no idea when Messiah turned up. They had no idea about judgment and mercy and all those amazing, wonderful things. But bless God, they counted all their spices when they gave so that they could say, I give a tenth of everything, including my chili powder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Seriously. I'm not kidding. It's ridiculous, but I'm not kidding. Okay, so in Malachi 3.1, it says, look, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says, look, I'm sending my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. Then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. Did you see that? That's kind of where they're getting this from. Okay, so they kind of, you know, it's like people get a hold of something and then they run with it. So they're running with this. Of course, before this could happen, Jesus would first have to go to the cross. And die for the sins of the world. And why John the Baptist says, this is in John chapter 1 and verse 29, so back in the Gospel of John. Remember he said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He didn't say, behold the Lamb of God that comes suddenly to his temple. (laughs) Okay? No. Boy, the temple was corrupt at this time. He's not going into that temple. (laughs) Amen. All right? In addition to this particular tradition, Based on Malachi's property, there was also another relating to the Old Testament 
character Melchizedek. Oh, we all love Mel, don't we? Okay, so <laughs> whose name meant king of righteousness and whose origins were seemingly a mystery with the writer of Hebrews saying in Hebrews 7 and verse 3 about him, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God. Do you see the parallel there? Okay, remains a priest continually. Accordingly, there was a romantic notion that when Christ finally appears, nobody would really know where he was from. Which, to a degree, was true. They didn't really know about his heavenly origins. Only John would write, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and then the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Are you all with me? But they didn't know this. So there was something about Him that they wouldn't know. So isn't it interesting how people always get things half right? Okay, so they kind of got that part right. They were half right, but you know, their thinking was wrong about it. Okay. <laughs> and so William Hendrickson writes, the second idea that's, that he would be born in Bethlehem was correct and was the official position of the Sanhedrin and which will actually be brought out in verse 42 of this same chapter where the people will say, so if you want to go to uh, John chapter 7 verse, verse 42, it says, Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was? All right. Now remember again, all of this was already confirmed in the Gospel of Matthew. Remember that? All right. When King Herod, having been informed by the wise men about the birth of the king of the Jews, he got really upset. Okay, because he he weaselled his way into that position. I mean, the stuff he did was criminal, and I won't go into it to get there. And so he finally gets there. He's seated there, and what happens? Yes. Uh, do you know where the uh, where he who is king, uh, born king of the Jews, lives? To, what? I'm sure King Harry put his helmet, you know, little crown back on and goes, uh, <laughs> "Come in, come in, have some cookies. Tell me about this, because I want to get rid of him." Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and remember that he calls in the chief priests and the scribes. And ask them where this child will be born. And I mean these guys. They're Messiah. This is the one they've been waiting for since Genesis chapter 3. Spill their beans. Did they think this was a righteous man? No, they knew he killed and murdered everybody to get where he got to. Did they think at all he wanted to worship him? No. Do you see how corrupt these people were even back then? The time of Jesus' birth, they just had no regard whatsoever for their Messiah. <laughs> I like one of my preachers, favorite preacher man. He sort of, he goes, you know, if, if I was one of them, I'd go, forget it. King, you ain't hearing nothing. You're getting nothing from me. Either that or lead him astray. Yeah, he was going to be born in Egypt. <laughs> go look over there. <laughs> you know, like Rahab. You know, and he was hiding the spies. And the soldiers came. And they said, do you know where they are? Oh, yeah, I saw them go that way. She lied through her teeth. And God blessed her and she got into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. A woman of questionable reputation. And she got in. 
lied through her teeth. Amen. Uh, okay, I don't have time to go down that road today. <laughs> it's a long road. All right. <laughs> and so remember again, they said, oh, I was getting to something. And remember, they said, where would this child be born? And in Matthew chapter 2, verse 5, it's, and they just say, in Bethlehem of Judea. I mean, you could have kept a little bit of mystery because there were two Bethlehems. He said, the one in Judea, that one, make sure you go to that one and kill him. <laughs> Whatever. Okay? For thus it is written. I mean, they give him the prophecy. And says, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah. I wonder what they're thinking when they're doing this. Are you not the least among the rulers of Judah? For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Who will shepherd my people Israel. You're going to kill the shepherd. Wow. I just think this is incredible. I wonder what they were thinking the day Herod put the order out to kill all those kids. I wonder what they were thinking then. Maybe we shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> all of those kids, their debts on, are on them now. Hmm? Never mind, I'm not preaching on that today. So the, the, the point being, the point being, the point being is that there was a prophecy. It wasn't going to be that the Messiah came from nowhere and suddenly, pop, there he is. No father, no, no father, no mother. Suddenly just bang, boom, ta-da. And then the spaceship moved away. <laughs> you know, hello. Okay. <laughs> it's not so funny. Anyway, so, so in spite of all the romantic notions among the general masses, it was common knowledge to the religious hierarchy that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Even though nothing was ever said about him living there. That's the problem. See, they kept saying, oh, he, you know, he'd, be in, he'd come from Bethlehem. No, he's going to be born there, just as prophecy said. But he wouldn't be living there. And they never took the time to inquire. That's still to come. Verse 28. Then Jesus cried out. So Jesus spoke with some emotion here, okay? <laughs> he wasn't whispering. As he taught in the temple saying, you both know me and you know where I'm from, which isn't what he says. In the literal text, it's actually a question. Can I give it to you the way the literal text reads? No wonder people don't read the English, okay? It says, so you think you know me and you think you know where I'm from? Ha, ah, see, that makes more sense, doesn't it? He's looking at them and they, because they're saying, we know where you're from. He goes, you think so? You think you know where I'm from? And then he, and why he goes and say, I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true. See, he's saying, you don't know where I've come from. You have no idea where I've come from. And where I've come from, the one that you don't know anything about, that's what, that's the person that sent me. And he is true. And in fact, true means the real one. Okay? Whom you do not know. So see, he's saying you guys are ignorant about these things. In other words, even though they think they know him, in actual fact they have no idea where he's really from, either supernaturally or for that matter naturally either, nor any idea who he has come from either. Did you get both of those things? Okay, so they don't know where he's come from and who he's come from. Did you all get that? Okay, all right. 
Leon Morris writes, the implication is plain. If they do not know, listen, this is really important. If they do not know the father who sent him, how can they be expected to know the Christ whom the father sent? Ooh, there it is. How can they know the son if they don't know the father? They have religion. They have no relationship. They do all this stuff, and they light the candles, and they polish the brass, and they pour the water. This one had a lot of water pouring things and a lot of lighting of candles, you know, because it was, remember how I told you they had lights and everything? Okay, there was, remember, he's going to be saying two things in this. Anyone who thirsts, come to me, and all. Okay, that's coming up. And he says, I'm also the light of the world. Okay, so that's going to be a very visual thing that they work from. And that's the reason why he's going to say it, because that's all around them. You'll see more as we go. I'll explain all this to you as we go. Further to this, D.A. Carson summarizes it so well when he says, The Jews prided themselves in knowing the one true God, unlike the pagans around them. Certainly, that was their privileged heritage. They especially thought that God made himself known to them in the law. But the law, Jesus has already insisted, points to himself. If the Jews do not recognize who Jesus is, listen, listen, here's a great, okay? Here's the conclusion. If then the Jews do not recognize who Jesus is, it must be that they do not really understand the law. Did you get that? If it was pointing to him, they say that they know everything about the law and they don't see him, they don't recognize him, then they really don't know. Okay? They do not really know the God who gave the law, for if they had really known him, they would not have rejected his son. Isn't that something? Think about that. Please think about that. There is a tremendous argument here. Jesus is saying something profound. So in total contrast to these people who have no idea who God is, Jesus goes in to say in verse 29, But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Boy, I tell you, three, three incredible things he says here. First he says, I know him. How does he know him? The first verse in this gospel. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. The word was with God. He was there right from the beginning. He knows him. Amen? In other words, Jesus, when Jesus said, I know him, he literally meant he existed with the Father from all eternity and was equal with him in all respects. Now they're going to pick up on this, which is why they're going to get even angrier at what he said. It's really interesting how they pick up on certain things, reject other things. It shows you what's behind it. It shows you when God's at work and when the devil's at work. It's really interesting how your eye... See, you know, Jesus talks about those people that think that black is white and white is black. And they have no idea. Everything is upside down to them. 
And I'm running out of time. All right. <laughs> I'm not running out of time. Okay, yes. There. I said it. Okay. So <laughs> no, no, I'm not, not. Thank you. Thank you for that. No, no, no. It's all right. Uh, we'll keep preaching this until we're done, okay? All right. <laughs> but we won't go so far that we know. <laughs> it's a balance, isn't it? <laughs> back to this, back to this. All right. So he then goes and said, I am from him and he sent me. William MacDonald explains that the Lord stated in the clearest possible way that he was the Christ of God, the anointed one whom God had sent into the world to accomplish the work of redemption. He is saying this is what Jesus meant when he said, and when he made this statement, excuse me, okay? Of course, none of, none of this made them happy. In fact, quite the opposite goes in to say, therefore they sought to take him, okay? In the literal, it says they want to kill him, all right? But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. The Jews understood exactly what he said. Otherwise, they wouldn't do this. They understood its significance, and to them it was sheer blasphemy. This man is making himself equal with God. Now, I said this to you before, and I want to say it again. Had he just stood up there and made all these claims and said all this stuff and done nothing, you'd go, okay, that's a little nuts. But, when somebody takes a couple of loaves and a few fishes and feeds approximately 10,000 people and has leftovers, when this individual walks on water, when this individual is healing people left, right, and center, when he is doing things that they can't come close to or explain, remember it's in this gospel that John includes the fact that Jesus turned water into wine. For those that do chemistry... That's a, and this was fermented wine. You know, people say, it was grape juice. Oh, come on, get off it. You got a drinking problem, deal with it. No, seriously. That, that's all it is. People that have issues, man, they got to make everything, make it to suit themselves. It says in the original that that's what it was. Scholars have proved that that's what it was. So, you know. I'm sorry about your little doctrine, but it wasn't, okay? It was, it, the, the reason that that's important is this. You take something away whenever you try to dilute it. And the fact that if it was, if it was wine and it was, uh, it was aged means there was a miracle of time involved in it as well. Not just molecular manipulation, but time as well. He was the master both of, you know, space and time. Or oh, excuse me, matter and time. It was an incredible thing what he did. Don't take away from that. So that's, you know, he's done all of this stuff. Come on. At least listen to the guy. You might have a sick grandmother that needs healing. Don't throw rocks at the guy that might be healing. You know, you might need to invite him home, you know. Anyway. All right, so I, I, need you to, I need you to see this because whenever he makes a statement, he substantiates it. It'll come from something he's already done. He says, I'm the bread of life. He had just fed 5,000 men plus women and children. And he said, as much as this is a miracle, 
you need to understand where that is coming from. You need to understand that I don't want to just feed your body. I want food for your soul and for your spirit as well. And that's who you're looking at. Amen? All right. Notice again, it says, His hour had not come. As much as these people wanted to take him, he was being supernaturally protected by God. And there was nothing that they could do about it. Amen. You know, don't be silly about these things either, okay? Remember, he didn't come at the beginning of the feast. Let, let me just stop here for a minute. You know, if he said, well, God will protect me, I'll just do dumb things and just go there whenever, and, and, okay, and then I'll blame God if he doesn't look after me. Don't do dumb things like that. Remember Jesus, Son of God, God in the flesh, says, I'm not going to go there at the beginning. <laughs> wait. I'm just going to wait. Well, is that a lack of faith? Oh, shut up. That's, that's wise. Wise as serpents. Not stupid as donkeys. You know, if I, I need to point these things out so that you don't go and do something dumb because the devil will do that. He'll say, jump off. Did they say that the angels will not let your foot dash on the ground? Check it out. And you jump and he goes, oh, I guess they did. We're burying you. Why did he jump? Well, you know, never mind. Okay, <laughs> so, you know, are you all with me? Don't, don't do stuff like that. That's called tempting God. Don't do stuff like that. See, Jesus, God in the flesh, decided not to go at the beginning of the feast. He listens. He waits. See, if you follow the will of God, then God is responsible for looking after you. Don't go out there trying to prove yourself and prove stuff. Just don't do that. All you need to know is what God thinks of you. That's enough. Amen? Regardless of what your parents said and anybody else has said about you, don't worry about all that stuff. What is real is what's written. That's reality. And a reality that God will confirm with signs following. Ha, ha, ha. Amen. Oh, I want to preach on that, but never mind. All right, let's, let's move on. So as Leon Morris puts it, the time for Jesus' death was not yet. His enemies could not bring that time forward, no matter how they may try. And so it goes to say in verse 31, And many of the people believed in him and said, When Christ comes, will he, more, will he do more signs than these? which this man has done. Isn't that tremendous? See what I said? See, it wasn't just about what he said. It was what he did. They're listening to him and they're saying, what more are we looking for? It was a very wise statement, so to speak. The religious leaders needed to hear that one. I'm sure they did, and it annoyed them, frustrated them, and got them very nervous. Because they're starting to lose their position. Are you here? Do I want to go on? Leon Morris says, let's finish here. Leon Morris says, the reason for their faith was not profound. <laughs> they could not conceive that when the Christ came, he would do more miracles than Jesus did. 
Their question, will he do more miraculous signs, expects the answer, no. But throughout this gospel, listen please, throughout this gospel, it is better to believe on the basis of miracles than not to believe at all. So there is no condemnation of this faith as inadequate. I thought that was really precious. Because we get all judgy, don't we? Oh, you just believe because you saw. Jesus said, blessed those that don't see and still believe. And he said that. He said that to, okay, to Thomas. But the thing is, listen, we need to be careful. I told you before. I told you last week. Same thing. You know, don't judge people. Okay, don't speak down to people. You rejoice. Any, anything that went right with them, rejoice with them. Don't go, oh, you, is that all? Don't do that. That was important to them. That was a, a place of joy and a place of victory for them. They had never experienced that in their life. Sure, you've come a long way from there, but that's their beginning. W- wouldn't you have liked somebody to rejoice with you when that happened to you at that time in your life? I always think, you know, think about how you would want somebody to react to you if that was you. Or in the words of Jesus, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That's a golden rule, by the way, in in, uh, Sermon on the Mount. Don't do like the world. Do unto others and split, you know. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) All right. Anyway, back to this. There's no, so therefore, there's no shame or condemnation for those brothers and sisters that might come to Christ on the basis of miracles, even though it is not, not God's will to live our life that way. And why the Apostle Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay, miracles are very much sight-orientated. And God himself says in Hebrews 10.38, Now the just shall live by faith. We have to live our life by faith. Not by miracles. Amen. But by faith. And he says, anyone draws back in unbelief, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. All right. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we thank you today for your word. And we thank you, Father, for what we are learning. That we continue to grow in these things. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I thank you, Lord, that as we make diligent search, that you will bring the answers that we seek. I thank you for this gospel. I thank you for the Apostle John. All the things that he has shared with us. I pray for each and every individual here that they receive this word. And more than that, Lord, what the Holy Spirit ministered to them along the way that was personal to them that it grows and produces fruit in their life in Jesus name Amen